And now, Tomorrowland Transit Authority proudly presents Progress City, Walt Disney's dream for the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Progress City was the inspiration for Epcot, and many of its forward-thinking ideas have been realized throughout Main Street Mechies. Welcome to the podcast <laughs> <What>? of tomorrow. <laughs> it's it's Epcot, the experimental prototype podcast of tomorrow. You still said T. You still said Epcot. Yeah. Why not Epcot? Ec- Ep Pot. Wow, no, none of them work. Yeah, it's just no. Ep Pot's the bet. <laughs> it, welcome to Ep Pot. Uh, I, <laughs> I am your guide into the future, and also ghost co-host Noah. <laughs> um, and I'm the disembodied voice in the weird blue, uh, blue ride vehicle that you go around the disco ball. Uh, Alex, <laughs> and, I gotta say my name at the end of that tirade. Uh, <laughs> and uh. <laughs> This is Main Street Mechies, the the, yeah. <laughs> the show, quote unquote, where two hopeful Imagineers and real life engineers talk about all things Disney parks. What a ride! Wow, already. That was that was interesting. Well, one bold of you to call us the uh, podcast of tomorrow. Uh, no one has um, disputed it thus far. I think that's fine. <laughs> the podcast of tomorrow that keeps systematically having technical issues <laughs> and scheduling issues today. We, we uh, <laughs> literally, we hopped on this call and there was a sound issue and we're like, I guess it's just tradition now that we start each recording with one of us having a sound issue. It's fine. We persevere. Yeah. That's the Imagineer way. That is, and that was very much shown in this week's topic, which thank you everybody for bearing with us yeah. on on. Especially just these last couple months, but last week on our quick uh, change in schedule, mm-hmm. um, we were kind of brainstorming on different ideas to do. Um, we were running into a ton of scheduling conflicts on trying to get recording in. And so then Noah threw out, hey, we wanted to do, we wanted to talk about this show for like the entire time we've done the podcast and been looking for a time. Why don't we binge watch the Imagineering story? And then talk about it, because that's, like, low-key is what got us to do the podcast. Yeah, I, um, I feel like if you go back and listen to one of the first episodes, I feel like we're talking about ideas. And we're like, oh, we could talk about Imagineering Story. Okay. Yeah. And here we are, 40 episodes later, finally doing it. And, like, almost, you know, two years after the show was released in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> almost three. Yeah, I think... I think that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it is. It, listen, this isn't going to be like a review review or a uh, or like a recap because most most everybody has seen the show. If you mm-hmm. haven't, please go watch it. It's oh, yeah. fantastic. Um, but we're, we're kind of just going to I guess this is going to be kind of like similar to a piece of Disney history because we're going to yeah. kind of just go through some of our favorite things from the show and the different crazy imagineering things that got talked about and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it will be fun it's gonna be a lot of fun and if you have uh, watched it hopefully it makes you go watch it again yeah if if you haven't watched it like alex said you should definitely go watch it and pace yourself it's like probably seven hours of content spread over six episodes um Mm -hmm. but it's so good and i just checked and the first episodes came out uh, November of 2019, so almost three oh years. Oh my god! <laughs> I feel like see, the... I only watched it a year ago, though. Like for the first time. 
I think a year or two ago, yeah. Oh, I remember watching the episodes as they came out because they released one every week until they hit six. I, I did not have Disney Plus when those oh, came out. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. so I watched all of them marathon style. Nice. Like a year or two ago. And yeah. then just this last week, we also rebinged. Marathon style. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it seems like Imagineering is a very niche thing, but then to see it in a six part, like, mini series and to see how deep its roots go is always such a weird experience because all you see of Imagineering now is just like, what Disney announced at D23? What are those crazy kids up to? All right, let's see if they make it. And that's about it. Yeah, so I, I think this is like a good place to start. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, what is an Imagineer? Because in, in essence, the first like three episodes really are about what is it, what is Imagineering and what is an Imagineer. They tell it through the story of, just like a quick recap, essentially what Imagineering story is, is the from beginning to end from the creation of disneyland to now they tell about the history of disney through the imagineering department's eyes and mm-hmm. they do a lot of interviews with different like very well-known imagineers and current imagineers that are huge in the space and uh, they give a few excerpts from Walt and they tell a lot, a lot of people who knew Walt, they talk about his interactions with Imagineering and how he treated Imagineering and like what it was to him and why it existed. Yeah. And when you say Imagineering is a very niche thing, I, I think it's, it's honestly, it's a result of how it was created. Mm-hmm. Imagineering isn't engineering per se. Right. Like, we're, you and I are engineers, so we look at it as an engineering field. I mean, it has engineering yeah. at the end. Like, <laughs> we got so the you'd think it was Exactly. You'd think it was engineering, but it's it's not. It's so much more than just engineering, mm-hmm. and that's what ends up making it so unique in the field because it's not just engineers. It's artists, sculptors architects civil like mm-hmm. civil engineers mechanical engineers chemical show showrunners like theater people mm-hmm. are in imagineering working in tandem as peers with people that have like 16 year stem degrees yeah are also like <laughs> working side by side on the same level as somebody that is like like they got their experience through like working in broadway and like it is incredible just the it is its own type of engineering because it's so many different kinds of fields just like conglomerated into one. It's it's just insane. It wasn't it. I think in the first episode when they're talking about the formation of the original group of Imagineers that put Disneyland together, Walt was pulling like his best animators from Walt Disney Animation Studios, bringing his best like um, artists in to help with Disneyland Because he went to, like, architecture firms and they gave him, you know, architecture buildings and just, like, it's going to look like a building on the outside. And that's not what he wanted. What he wanted was, I need someone who knows how to tell a story and who can also draw what they're thinking. That's what we need for this park. And so that's where it started. And you bring up a really good point of that, like, 
we think Imagineers are mostly engineers and then there's some creative people that kind of like add the flourishes. It, especially after watching this series again, I'm pretty convinced that it's like, definitely its foundation is creative artistic types. And then that later they brought in like people with engineering degrees and architects and engineers to make those things exist in real life. But without those people with the creative visions and the artistic talent, there wouldn't be an Imagineering department. You would just have another R&D department or you'd have another just like, this is where our engineering department sits. They make sure the buildings don't fall apart. But it's it's not quite that either. Yeah, and I I, I think that's, that's a really good way of kind of putting it together because... I mean, you think of kind of what Imagineering does, like what they're in charge of, and it, it really does. It stems from Walt's desire that the park tells a story by existing, mm-hmm. not you build the park and then you put the story inside of it. The yeah. park, the park is the story, and so every single part of it needs to tell the story. And it was really smart of him to recognize the fact that you can given the right amount of honestly like the right amount of just outright will to make something happen you can work backwards from an idea to can it work Mm -hmm. usually that's i mean that's near opposite of what they have you do in engineering it's like you you have a baseline concept you check if it works this was essentially i have an idea i'm gonna make it work yeah. <laughs> and obviously, like, it, it it makes it sound like they didn't know what they, they were doing, which they, that's not what I'm saying at all. But these were also things that people had never done before in ways they were never done before. Mm-hmm. And so instead of trying to use what had already been done, they recognized that that wouldn't work here. Oh, yeah. We, if we're going to do this right, we need to do it new. And so we're we're not reinventing the wheel we're we're not even using wheels anymore like we're we're on our own different thing and that's that's why they they had to go with creative types first and it's it's really cool it's a really cool way to go about design problem it's super cool and throughout the whole series every now and then you'll see some imagineers pitching a new concept to whether it's like other Imagineers or like a board of executives or whatever. And it's to show some of these rides that are, are fairly new, but were like really groundbreaking at the time to show them in their more like rudimentary state. And it made me wonder like with Midway Mania, when they're talking about the revamp for California adventure, um, they were showing that initial pitch of, you shrink down to the size of the toy and you play games with Woody and all of his friends. When you're pitching that idea, you know, how much of the, how much of the how has been figured out at that point? Because with a lot of these things, it was like, like with Smuggler's Run, they had to work with a game developer to develop the technology that could render in real time at like 150 frames per second, a motion simulator based video game, which had not been done before. Or with, even with Midway Mania, they're like, we needed all these servers to track, like, you know, 50 different games being played at once. But how much of that was figured out when they were pitching it? Or was it a, you know, here's the idea. Do you want us to pursue it? If yes, then we'll make it happen. 
or is it like you know we we think we can do this but here's the idea and gosh i hope we can do it that's what i would love to know at each of those points like when they were about to invent a new ride technology how much did they know when they were pitching it yeah and that's that's that is a very interesting thing because like watching watching the imagineering story it almost always seems like they come up with the idea and then they figure out yeah. how to do it like that seems to be the formula and if it, it, i would almost be inclined to believe it because it's not like they've been all all good like, right <laughs> there has yeah. been bad ideas and imagineering story has talked to, like talks about those mm-hmm. that there were bad ideas and there were places where they either cut corners or they weren't able to do something the way that they wanted to do it mm-hmm. any number of things but i think so like just just for our listeners who who might not be in like product development fields or stem fields like Noah and i are the 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 general rule of thumb is you you come up with a general concept but you have to have an idea of how it could work mm-hmm and if you don't have that, if you can't prove that you can do it, it's essentially a non-starter. Yeah. Um, there, there's no there's no throwing out an idea and then somebody going, hey, here's a blank check. Go figure yeah. it out. <laughs> but th- it's also it's a different kind of market for pretty much any other company in existence other than maybe Universal. But Disney has a benefit of if we make it good enough, we will make money. Like there is, there mm-hmm. is near no like ceiling for budget for them because if it's good enough, it will make money. Like, Oh yeah. People will come. If it's even better than they expected, they will make more money. It is an exponential growth curve. Yeah. And, and Yeah that's the theme throughout the whole series is you see what happens when they go all out and the priority is given to the, you know, the story for whatever the Imagineers are making, whether it's a ride or a land in all the examples they show, like when they're given full reign and they put, they make the money like subservient to the story you get a thing that people will come out and see and it always pays off. And then you also see when money is put in the forefront and story and theme are kind of an afterthought or maybe the Imagineers aren't quite given enough like slack to try new things, you get things like the first version of California Adventure. Or you get like, Euro Disney. You, you get, get you get Euro Disney. You get Hong Kong Disney before they added the things that made it profitable like it's just it's great that they show both sides of that and they show why those things happened in imagineering's history but it's just crazy to see like how successful some of these rides and lands have been when they just say all right imagineers we trust you tell an amazing story figure it out do what you do best versus uh we don't have the money for that here's your little budget do whatever you can uh, and just just before, because I want to make sure I say, I want to loop back to the international Disney parks, because yeah. <laughs> I forgot how much I loved the the learning curve on those. That is such an interesting mm. learning, like watching the the development of those, how they learned how yeah. to do them. But just kind of going back to the, to the money thing. I, so the first episode is all about the creation of Disneyland. 
Mm-hmm. And then the second episode is them moving into Florida after Walt's death. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, the the first three episodes are very much like a Walt-centered experience because it is, first, Walt doing his first park. Second, how do they finish it without Walt? How do they move on to the next vision? And then the third is, how do we move forward now that we've ran out of Walt's... Like, Walt-oriented projects. Yeah, like, yeah. Walt kickstarted everything that they were doing and that mm-hmm. was covered in the first two episodes. How do they move forward from that? Like, how much... It, it, I think, uh... I can't remember... I think it was after his death, but I, I feel like it resonated a little bit more once they finished Epcot. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the Imagineers at the time, which at that time they were they were Wed Enterprises, which right. stood for Walt Elias Disney, mm. um, and uh, one of the Imagineers at the time said, "Now we'll see exactly how much of this was Walt and how much of it was us." Yeah, and so those those first three episodes are very emotional episodes too. Like you can see a lot of emotion coming out of those out of the Imagineers that are still with us today. Um, and a lot of emotion just in the designs themselves. But Disneyland was the definition of money second experience mm-hmm. yeah. first. <laughs> Walt sold his house, didn't he? Like, he, he took out loans on the company. He cashed in his life insurance policy. That's what it was, too, yeah. He put oh. everything on Disneyland. Yeah. Literally, his if if Disneyland had not gone well his life would have been ruined mm-hmm. and and the, the company would have been multiple hundreds of people's lives would have been forever altered mm-hmm. even besides the fact that if it hadn't gone well there would have been an abandoned theme park in the middle of anaheim california yeah <laughs> but like they they put all this money into it they put all this time into it all of this these crazy attractions and themes and stuff like that and in the end they're pouring concrete like the day up yeah like people's <laughs> shoes are sinking in nothing's fully dried they were welding teacups as they were going you're choosing like in between yeah choosing bathrooms or water fountains for that first week <laughs> <laughs> and so people thought that he was peddling coca-cola like because yeah. there was no water fountains <laughs> it was it was it is just so so insane how something that went so well flew by the seat of its pants but that they every you're you're completely right everything that they did that and they have done that has hit so hard mm-hmm. has always been when they put the creative before the financial yeah and that's something you can do in essentially no other industry like barely (laughs) even any other business if you if you and i tried to pitch to either one of our companies that a project we just had to make sure it was really good yeah (laughs) and we we just didn't have to worry about the budget we would be laughed out of the room and possibly fired no here's your budget (laughs) you may not spend that much (laughs) here's your budget and your notice of termination this is not the outlook we need and i think you know, I I don't think what we're saying is at Disney, Imagineering says, we've got a great idea. And Disney says, okay, here's a blank check. Like, obviously, there's still some, there are checks in place and there's still budgeting that needs to be done. But you can definitely tell that 
when that discussion comes up and that give or take happens where it's like, oh, well, we could do this extra story thing, but it's going to cost X more dollars. When they're talking about that give and take between having additional story elements or spending that extra money, you can tell that Disney gives the Imagineers that little bit of like, okay, well, my business instinct says that's a lot of money, but it's worked in the past. You guys are really good at putting great rides together, so go ahead. And it's it's very evident. And you are you opening the door now? You just can't win. <laughs> That's engineering, folks. <laughs> That's Oh my god, I wish we had video. I uh <laughs> for for those of you listening, which is all of you, um my cat keeps opening the door to this room I'm recording in, so I just locked him out and and blocked the door with the chair and now this is the determination we bring to the podcast. This Noah is, has barricaded himself inside his room that he records This is the in. tenacity that we bring you every time we push through the audio bugs and the cats barging <laughs> in and out. Okay, well, let's see. Where were we? Oh, I remember. You started going through this, but I thought um, to kind of give this discussion a little bit of structure, we could kind of just touch on each episode. Um throughout the series just like if we enjoyed it or what you remember from it and so we kind of already talked about that with the first episode being all about the creation of disneyland um for some reason this the first episode always gets me the most just at the end with like walt's death and showing all of the imagineers that are still alive today just like recounting that and it kind of like I don't know. It's it's weird. We talk about all this stuff that Disney does, and you see like the statues of Walt or at D twenty three. They're like, we're adding this Walt statue to this park, and it's like, okay. But then you watch this first episode, and it really humanizes him. And you're like, this is just a guy who like loved his kids, loved telling stories, wanted to do more of that, and the friends that he made along the way to making what is now a global phenomenon. And it's just interesting to see the perspective of someone who worked alongside him and this is just a day for animal sounds um (laughs) but that's that's what i always take away from that first episode is just like seeing how much of an impact walt had personally on i don't remember the how many there were like 10 or 10 or 12 original imagineers yeah i think it was i think 12 12 sounds right yeah i think so I, i i i'm definitely with you on that on the like those first two episodes for me it's always i think it's just something people people like walt disney and absolutely not saying that walt disney was a perfect perfect individual like he's a human being he had flaws and he's a human being of of that time period and Mm -hmm. and we as human beings have have improved a lot since like in recent history but like there is a special kind of individual that can have a dream like that and push so hard to get it done. Like Mm -hmm. essentially just refuse to be told no. And also do it in a way in which he wasn't disliked when it was all said and done. Like once it was done, it, he allowed himself to, it wasn't, 
it, like they were on to the next thing, but it was wasn't. Now let's go make more money. It was how do how do we make this better? How do we yeah. improve this more? Mm-hmm. And it was it that's just a very unique mindset, and mm-hmm. you could see that in the people that interact with them how much that touched them that they truly felt that yeah he was a hard pushing individual and very from the conversations that they've had with him he was a very frank individual when, yeah. especially when it came to <laughs> like will things get done and how are things getting done when it when it came to like to work stuff but he didn't push you because he wanted them to get done. He pushed you because he knew you could do it mm-hmm. and that you, you both of you were going to do something special and he wanted you to be a part of that. Yeah. And that, that it's a, just a very unique individual mm-hmm. that without him, like obviously there would be no Disney, but without him as he was the mixture of dreamer and just, battle hard and almost drill sergeant yeah like, there would have been nothing that we enjoy today and no reason to write a podcast and so it's that's true that <laughs> the other thing that sticks with me from those two episodes is the matterhorn as a design concept yeah. is horrifying <laughs> um the fact that the person who designed it was learning trigonometry yeah. Wow, designing it. It's like, guess I'll uh, learn how to design roller coasters as I design this roller coaster. Okay. Essentially, by designing a roller coaster, he learned how to just design Just like trial coasters. and error, learn how to make a roller coaster. <laughs> Shows just how smart those people were, because that's insane. But, like, that's terrifying. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> that is absolutely terrifying. Could you imagine hearing like in today's day and age and the designer for the Hulk coaster uh was learning uh physics while designing the roller coaster today your surgery will be performed by oh look a med student who's never operated before it's All not right. even a med student like he was learning trig. Yeah. it wasn't that he yeah. was learning like intermediate dynamics it's like your surgery today will be performed by this person that's taking anatomy class and watched some Grey's Anatomy. Like, <laughs> this person just found out what a skeleton is. All right, here you go. But like, but obviously, he had more experience than that. Yeah. But like, that's he, insane. He learned it on the fly, and like, just I think that still proves relevant today with all the like. Granted, all the work that Disney's doing, and all the R and D, and all the robotics that they they're doing are way more cutting edge and the people that are doing them have studied this stuff for years but it's still the kind of the same thing we're like we have this idea no one's really done it before we kind of know the stuff you need to understand it so we're just gonna figure it out and it however in that case it was just like your trial run is the finished coaster so (laughs) have fun do it right and also the fact that they were like you're gonna design this roller coaster also it needs to be inside a mountain also we're gonna punch a hole straight through it for the skyway um have fun and there's two of them like they are also supposed to race and they're they're intertwined (laughs) there's two of them there's also an animatronic involved it's and then a dude's gonna climb on the outside by the way (laughs) like (laughs) and we're gonna send someone up the side yeah that 
the I think the first three episodes are my favorite just because they really showcase the kind of like gung ho we're gonna either we're gonna make it or we're gonna die trying attitude of this company that was just yeah. like a startup basically and is now just this you know this force to be reckoned with as far as attraction design goes i think that's just seeing where they came from and seeing how you know we say simple but i'm sure at the time it was far from simple to do what they were doing but just to see where they started and how groundbreaking that was it inspires me to be like okay look at that everyone starts somewhere even this company that is like the pinnacle of themed attraction design today they started doing you know learning trig to design a roller coaster and now they're sending robots flying through the air and into buildings on occasion but through the air most of the time like (laughs) only once only what that's all that's true only once yeah they made a joke about it at d23 apparently wait really (laughs) yeah yeah they made a joke about it um that like spider-man is back in uh had to uh be treated at the med bay but now he's back in action (laughs) something like that nice Um, always telling the story that's great Yeah, yeah you have to i mean stuff like that i Disney has this Disney has a very very good success rate mm-hmm. um and it's it is because they are they are the masters in their field like that is and they are a field of very few individuals mm-hmm. so it is it is hard to compare them to to anybody yeah and so when they screw up it looks bad it looks really bad but it's engineering is not a is not an exact thing. There are margin of errors in everything we interact with. with. Yeah. And my, my brother has a saying that um, engineering is mostly super glue and duct tape. Um, <laughs> and what calculations there are are often written on a napkin. And yeah. it's, it's not like, it's not a hundred percent true. Like obviously there's a lot more to it than that, but it's, it's more of just kind of a joke about how much of engineering is based on assumptions and trial and error and jerry rigging things to try and make it work mm-hmm. and then working backwards from the jerry rigged to something that actually is presentable yeah um, i think that's something you and i can especially attest to at this point in our like careers in education and it's something i've learned a lot in my current job is just like you can study so many things in engineering there is an almost endless realm of things you could study and still call yourself an engineer but to do any of them to put any of those things into effect yeah it helps to know how to do the analytical side but like 70 to 80 percent of it is just intuition and experience god sometimes 90 like like 90 or so much of it is just knowing what works and what doesn't work and then that analysis is just there to like double check and make sure everything's fine but you know these imagineers and just you know seasoned veteran engineers are presented with a problem the first thing they're going to do is go through the memory bank and say like where have i seen something like this before well i can use this material with this design that should work that's our starting point now let's do the analysis the stuff that takes time and some testing and figure it out and it's really hard to just 
pop out of college. I'd say it's impossible to pop out of college with that experience and intuition already formed. It's just getting out there and messing up as fast as you can and learning from it and messing up again. That's engineering. Yeah, it's 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 literally just taking experiences to try and solve technical problems. That, yeah. That's the majority <laughs> yeah. of what it is. Um, the funny thing is, after telling me that that phrase that my brother gave me, uh, I went on my first internship with a, a chainsaw company, and um, we we were out there doing doing a, a baseline prototype test, like nowhere nowhere near putting this thing out to to development. He was doing a test. I told my mentor that. And he went, that's not true. And then not even five minutes later, we're duct taping shut a, a, uh, like a piece of test equipment that he was like trying a new circuit board on. Yeah. And he's like sitting there duct taping it. I'm just kind of staring at him. And at one point he looks at duct tape and stops and goes, all right, shut up. And then finishes <laughs> duct taping it. Uh, <laughs> You do it's what one of my favorite do. stories to tell. You do what you gotta do. It's yeah. like obviously none of that is going to reach customers. This isn't like me saying, "Oh, yeah. you guys should be afraid." No, but it's it's there. There is there are time restraints. There is our willingness to do things to the full extent restraints, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it you would be surprised when you go into the R and D department how much zip ties, duct tape, and super glue are used, yeah. and <laughs> um, and it's effective. It works. It is. It works. And it's it's usually because the thing that the duct tape is like holding, or the the action of securing something, that's not the thing that's being tested. You're not testing whether no. like is duct tape going to work on this thing. Like it's usually something else. And it's just not worth it to invest time and money into like, oh, I sure got to make sure this thing stays. Let me go, let me go model up a jig for this and then machine it and then secure it. No, just duct tape uh, it down. Duct tape, super glue. Uh, duct tape it down, you'll be done in five minutes. If you only need uh, to use it once or twice, then, you know, find a solution that if, works once or twice. That being said, every engineer has guaranteed by the time that they hit five years in the industry, had a story about how something caught fire, electrocuted them, almost stabbed them, or how they almost lost a finger. And, and if, that's also part of that. And, and if you want to hear our versions of those stories, you'll have to tune in to the next episode of Main Street Mechies. Oh, yes. Okay, that full loop connection, duct tape and super glue engineering was, as is evident in the first episodes of imaginary story and is as evidenced by our stories just now, a major part of just the engineering design process. And I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, Moving into the second half of the series, which I would view as the more modern section. Yeah. And I think the part that people know more and are more familiar with. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, That's I, Definitely same, because I was, you know, alive and coherent for a good number of... Definitely everything in the last two episodes, and, like, a little bit of uh, the fourth. So, the fourth episode's... Well, okay, the third episode ends with uh, kind of the end of the Michael Eisner, Frank Wells era. They were Mm -hmm. uh, president and chairman of the whole Disney company, and Michael Eisner has a notorious reputation for 
I think, making a lot of really great moves for the Disney parks and also some not-so-great moves because near the end of his tenure as chairman, he was dealing with his partner and confidant's death. Frank Wells died in a helicopter accident. Um, and then he had quadruple heart bypass surgery, so he was, like, physically, emotionally just weakened. And in that state, he approved things like California Adventure, Superstar Limo, um, Euro Disney. Actually, Euro Disney happened before all of that, but that was kind of the initial nail in the coffin of, like, mistakes that... was the first. It spooked him. They were just things that kind of just pushed him away from the edge of do big things and hope they pay off and towards the, like, just play it safe. It was was the first time that Disney had tried something and it just straight up did not work yeah and i think that that was what i wanted to talk about earlier yeah so when when they started doing international parks they got a little bit spoiled with i believe tokyo disney was the first it was tokyo yeah and tokyo wanted exactly disneyland they wanted nothing different they just wanted disneyland california brought to tokyo right it was tokyo uh it, it was tokyo i think they wanted disney were they wanted the magic kingdom or i could have sworn it was disneyland hong kong was a carbon copy of disneyland i'm just saying i'm kong looking at like a picture of tokyo disneyland and i think their castle is an exact copy of the one in magic kingdom okay but but they essentially but, they won all the same rides they wanted they wanted western disney in tokyo yeah like that was that was what they wanted. Oh, you're and yeah, because it yeah, I'm I'm reading yeah, up on it, this. It yeah. was like right after it was right after the war, um, and at the time, uh, Japanese citizens after World War Two were very restricted on what media that they could watch, yeah. and one of the first things that they were given were Disney movies, and so they wanted Disney brought to Japan. Mm-hmm. And when you get something like that happen you get spoiled because that's what you think everybody wants. They want America brought to insert country here. Yeah. (laughs) And it worked well. And so they tried to do it three more times. Yeah. (laughs) And they did it with Euro Disney. And I mean, they talk about the French culture is, is so far different from the American culture Mm -hmm. and it wasn't taken into consideration. And they talked about the the wine at restaurants and like yeah. the wine with every meal and how that just wasn't done. And so like I I could totally see how if that's something so far ingrained into my culture, and a a big company like Disney comes in, it's like I'm gonna make you a park and you're gonna love it. And you go yeah. okay, and then you get there, and they didn't even do this fundamental thing that mm-hmm. requires no effort on their part you immediately that would turn you off and immediately make you not want to like it would turn you away from the park just like turn you off from the park just immediately and it just crashed from there and then they almost did the same thing again with hong kong and shanghai but you can you can see the learning that they did with it happen each and every time Mm -hmm. and i believe hong kong was kind of the big crescendo of that where every single piece of that park was made explicitly to show off the fact that they looked at chinese culture yeah they looked at 
and and current political at the time Hong Kong and China were together this was well before all of the political stuff that has gone on with Hong Kong but the the cultures are very at least from my understanding are very very well ingrained with each other mm-hmm. and um they they looked at those cultures to make sure that they were that they were correctly oriented that they were actually listening and they were actually giving people something that they could relate to it wasn't it wasn't disney i i think uh oh, the, um, the, the slogan Iger, for the park yeah um what was it uh sincerely disney uniquely chinese i think it was authentically disney authentically oh no it's oh shoot hold on i gotta look this up because i was trying to remember this i think it's authentically disney distinctly chinese that i, I think that's right yeah authentically disney distinctly chinese was the just the the kind of one sentence summary that uh, Bob Iger presented with you know when they started doing press releases for the construction of Shanghai Disney, and you're you're totally right. You can see the difference in how they handled Shanghai versus Euro Disney. It seems like with Euro Disney they were like, well, we know what works in America, so we're just going to do the same thing here. And there was backlash immediately from the locals, and they were not happy about it. And then it opens and you find out like, oh, wow, look, you didn't listen to us. You didn't put any effort in to listen to what we like and learn about this culture. So it flopped and they had to make adjustments to actually make it enjoyable for anyone from that part of Europe or anyone in France that wanted to come visit. Like, And now with Shanghai, you've got from the start, they're like, we are going to make sure we're working with you know, that we worked with the Chinese government the whole time and we brought on um, local artisans and carpenters and stonemasons and taught them the Imagineering way of doing things while also making sure they were doing things like wh- how they were used to doing it. And it turned out like very well. And it's the largest, well, it's got the largest castle of any Disney park. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the largest park, but... Um, it, gigantic castle. I it mean, is, it's an inside castle too. It's a beautiful. It's like castle. four stories of walking space inside, or something yeah. with like a. It's a crazy. Rotunda. It's insane. Um, and oh, I just wanted to come back to uh, Hong Kong. There was one fact that stood out to me that I don't know if I caught the first time I watched the series. That Hong Kong Disney operated at a deficit for. Like from opening until when um, Mystic Manor was put in, and then wow, after really? they built Mystic Manor, it had its first profitable year, like wow. ever, <laughs> which is just insane. <laughs> like that's I'm trying to find when uh, Mystic Manor was built. Uh, Mystic Manor was built in let's see, 2013. The park opened in 2005 <laughs> so so like eight eight years, eight years of... of losing money on hong kong disney until they finally were like maybe we should invest a little more in this park and they were like financially comfortable with it and then you finally start making money off of this park that again goes to show like if you invest in it you put mystic manor in which is a brand new original ride that you can't find anywhere else in the world and you put a lot of effort into it people are going to want to come see it and that's what happened and and a perfect example of actually looking at the culture that you're going because a haunted mansion 
would not do well in in Mm-mm. in Asian culture just because versus Eastern and Western culture has very different viewpoints on death. Yeah, and and Mystic Manor is much like the mystical side of history and some of the mystic manor doesn't do much like afterlife stuff there's like, like no death it's yeah, all like there's magic like no de- yeah it's it's magic stuff but like doing like a death and ghosts and stuff like that and trying to be like spooky it, it wouldn't it wouldn't track like it, it yeah. wouldn't fit at all and i think even like in france it didn't Han mansion didn't do very well they adapted none it. of the funny rides yeah. did well at all because the french humor is different yeah. It is, yeah. It's it's a showing of them actually realizing that to work well in a international market, you have to learn where you're going. Mm-hmm. They they don't want you. They want something that is them. They, they want authentically Disney, uniquely blank. Yeah, and like give us or distinctly us, blank. Yeah, but make it fun in the Disney way. I don't want to see yeah. what an American wants to see. I don't want Main Street. You know, that's not. I don't care about Americana. Show me culture I'm familiar with, but tie in some of the Disney characters that like me and my kids are so fond of and that we've watched the movies for and like, oh, look, there's your favorite character. But we're still definitely in like a Chinese culturally centered area in a respectful Mm -hmm. way too. And I, from what I've seen from this documentary and just from seeing different things of like Shanghai and Hong Kong and Tokyo in the end, as things are now, Disney did a great job of, you know, doing what they do in a respectful way, like honoring each culture that they're coming into and not trampling all over it or just disregarding or ignoring it. Yeah. 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 So I would say, and just trying to kind of put, put a bow in this because I'm looking at our time. Um, that that to me was my favorite part of those three episodes was the continuous story of the learning curve that it took to get a successful international park mm-hmm. and even the one that went the best still took a while to get going from mm-hmm. the sounds of it so that that was kind of like my favorite story that got told in the back half yeah. I, I want to know what's what's kind of your favorite section of the back half of the back half it's interesting because i found the the last episode the least interesting because same we were coherent and already engineering students at least when all of that was happening so it's nothing new some behind the scenes stuff we've never seen before um but yeah the international stuff and it's it's interesting that you bring up like the the story arc of trial and error getting an international park right and then letting that change kind of ripple back as they fixed some of the other ones i followed along from the perspective of like this group of people did it excuse me this group of people tried this park and it didn't work out so then we brought these new people in and uh, they learned a little bit i i guess i I didn't initially make the connection of like Imagineering as a company is getting better at this international park thing. And now they're at a point where it's, it's working well. I was just kind of stuck in this, like group a tried doing this and it didn't work. Group B came in and Oh look, they did a little better. And now we've got this new crop of Imagineers and they're working with this group. And I'm glad you brought that up. Cause 
you're right that Imagineering is not one person. Imagineering is not Joe Rody, despite popular opinion. Imagineering is <laughs> <laughs> is like the company as a whole and the people who make up that company and the things they create and how they grow as a design slash R&D firm. Um, following that story is what really makes that second half interesting. And also, just from an entertainment perspective, the fact that when they did Tokyo, the Oriental Land Company was like, spend as much money as you want. We'll pay for it. We don't care. We don't care. You we want... just want the best park in the world. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so great. To be on that team um, and to hear that, but also to be like, Wait, in a different country I've never been to, language barrier, culture barrier, whoa, that's a lot. And to follow along as they kind of waded through those challenges, it's just like mind-blowing that they managed to do what they did. Yeah, no, Tokyo Tokyo Disney is a place I very much want to go, because oh, Tokyo Sea was apparently the same way, where it was essentially just, hey, how much money do you want to make a really good park? And they just went buck wild with it. Yeah. And so, and I mean, look, God, look at the Tomorrowland upgrade upgrade oh, for Tokyo. Like, so it, is, nice. it is an insane amount so of cool. money thrown into that park. <laughs> um. It is that is the definition of a blank check project. Like that is probably every Imagineer's dream project is to work in Tokyo because they can yeah. just be like, "You want to develop holograph hologram technology? Yeah, like, sure. Here's a check. Like, right. yeah, <laughs> go do it. Perfect." <laughs> to um, there was also one more thing. Um, I think it was is either Tokyo or Hong Kong when they finished working on it. You've obviously got like a whole team of Imagineers working on the International Park. And then there's all the other Imagineers back home working on like, you know, I think at the time it was California Adventures uh, refurbishment or update. Um, I think it was Bob Weiss was on one of the International Projects. That wrapped up, came back, and there was a little bit that focused on like, how do you bring a group of Imagineers who just spent a year more internationally working on a park back into the bulk of the company who is working on some other thing. And I think it, it must've been uh, Tokyo because they were saying like coming off of this huge, this huge win and everyone loved it. I think it was it. Hong Kong. Was it Hong Kong? No, I think it was Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. It was Hong Kong. It, coming back from that. And then it's like, all right, you got to fit back in with what everyone else is doing um and then i think that was when bob weiss who was like a creative director in hong kong they were like all right we're gonna make you like president of imagineering great on to the next (laughs) thing that's that's it that's the point i wanted to make the the thread that weaves through every single story in imagineering story is with every victory there's that in the back of the head all right what next what are you gonna do now (laughs) like that's great but top it do better <laughs> like yeah no yeah. and that is such a cool aspect of of imagineering as a whole and the company as a whole mm-hmm. and it's why they are able to do what they do but it's i i did find that cool that that there's that i i would have never thought about that but the the sheer high that you must have to come off of mm-hmm. when you go from a project like like shanghai or hong kong or 
mm-hmm. and any of these any of these huge international projects where you're where you're not you're not home you're not there you're you're living abroad yeah it's these massive developmental projects of brand new parks breaking ground nothing was there when you started and now there's this whole world that you helped create Mm. and then coming home and having to figure out what to do next that has to just be this huge crash yeah of like seriously just what do i do like what 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 do you mean what next how am i supposed to know (laughs) what to do next um that that has to be just a indescribable feeling of both just like relief that it's done but also like sadness that it's over kind (laughs) of thing yeah like that's it's crazy yeah uh long story short you should all watch Imagineering Story if you haven't, and even if you have, and it's been a while, you should rewatch it because it is inspiring yes. and excellent storytelling and tells an often unheard side of one of the largest companies in the world. So definitely check yes. it out. But now it is time. Also, hot oh. take. Wait, wait. One hot take. Yeah. They should have never changed it from WED. It should have <laughs> always stayed WED Enterprises. I love WED Enterprises. It was Walt's hideaway from his brother that did the financial side. No one could tell him what he could spend money on. It was fantastic. Um, That's just my personal. I love Imagineering. I think it's a great name. Imagineers is a great name. I also just enjoy WED as a concept and kind of wish they had kept the name. WED Enterprises. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Um, All right. Now we can move forward. It's time to move forward into everyone's favorite chaotic segment, Mouse geared. <laughs> That's not the music. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> with this one, uh, I wanted to pick an attraction that we have not, we've we've touched on, but I don't think we've really delved into. And it came up in the last episode of Imagineering Story. It's a pretty big part. Um, we are going to do a mouse geared for a ride I've never been on, Navi River Journey. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I feel like this is one, you know, you've you've been on it, not, you know, it's appreciate it for what it is, but not super attached to it from what I understand. Not like Flight of Passage by any means. Yeah. So, okay. So, I'll just kind of give a quick Navi River Journey, because you've never been on it. Correct. I'll give the I can give a quick summary. So it essentially is like a Pirates of the Caribbean, but Avatar, you're going through the rivers of Pandora, um, with the music and the foliage, and at the end there's this huge animatronic of the um the shaman. head of the Yeah, the shaman. Mm. Um the head of the Navi tribe is there and it's it's an incredible animatronic. It is like it is lifelike like it is insane um but that being said probably one of my least favorite rides at animal kingdom <laughs> just because the wait is always over an hour uh-huh. and it's so short it is such a short ride and so that's my mouse gear is gonna be really quick to be honest because <laughs> it, it there is there is the main problem with Navi River Journey, it's beautiful. The music is great. The queue's not half bad. Um, mm-hmm. It needs to have more inside parts. The Flight of Passage queue, just as long, but there's inside parts. There's a ton of stuff to look at. 
So fix the queue by adding more, more inside. Have you go into a cave and like see all this like cave bioluminescence mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like make it a cool area to look in. Right now it's just kind of outside and you're under this um, kind of like structure created by the Navi, which looks really cool, mm-hmm. but not for the entire queue. Yeah. Um, you need to move areas, but the biggest thing they need is they just, they need a couple more scenes in, in the, in the story. Like they, they just, they need more rooms. Mm-hmm. And so I would add, keep everything else the same. I would add a scene where you can see multiple, like you're just in a huge room in a winding river. Yeah. Um, but you can see more. It's open. It's no, there's, we're not tight and close. Mm-hmm. You can see the boats behind you. You can see like all that kind of stuff, have trees rustling, have, um, do a little bit more like perspective screens Ooh, and, yeah. and make it, make it this huge, huge room that, that makes you kind of feel like you're in open air. Um, kind of, kind of like the feeling that you get inside the Mexico pavilion, uh inside the pyramid yeah. that's the kind of feel that i i want to get you should like kind of like come out of a cave and get this huge room feel where you're just surrounded by this bioluminescent vegetation huh. and you can see the people around you like the other riders it would be really cool to kind of like hit a bend and you see like four or five other boats going on yeah. this journey too um and then i think one other scene that you should add is maybe one going around the mother tree Ooh, uh, yeah. Just kind of from a, even if it's from a distance or something like that, it's just like you just need a couple more scenes. Everything else on the ride is great. It just needs to be longer because it's a really cool ride. It's just over in like under two minutes, and it is way too short for the length of wait that you usually have to do. I yeah, from what I've seen and from what they talk about in Imagineering Story, it seems like this. It's kind of like, yeah, like like pirates in that it's just kind of some scenery you're passing through. And it's just a really cool flex of their set design and their set design yes. skills, lighting, set decoration, projection, screens, and then... On point. Every single one of them. Yeah, and then like obviously the animatronic is like the crown jewel of that ride. And that's yeah. what you're there to be like, wow, and just kind of gawk at. And that's the ride that's the weenie for the ride that you can't see from anywhere but you know about it and that's why you're like i should go on navi river journey um since i've never been on it i are are there like discrete scenes in the ride like is is there a story or is it just like you're in this area now no, you're, in this you're just area. kind of in you're just kind of in pandora okay you're in the forest in pandora going down river okay there's not like like when i say scenes it's like there's usually like rooms that sure it yeah turns and okay. it goes to the next one they just need to have more of those so that okay. the ride is longer yeah <laughs> like, i would say that's it, that's just it, the it thing. should be longer and i get that what they were the imagineers were going for is like is there a ride there's not a ride in animal kingdom that you go on that is the equivalent of pirates where like oh i'm just here to have a peaceful experience or to sit for a little bit it's nowhere near pirates because you can't just walk on to river journey but um it seems like that's what they were kind of going for so lengthening it and i feel like it would be really cool if you could 
if there was more interactivity with it, and maybe that means like in uh, oh, Blue Bayou in Pirates, how there's like areas you can walk through that the ride also passes through. So maybe when the ride's over, you get out of the boat and you can walk through like a nature conservatory that has been put together showcasing the different plant life inside and you also see the boats going by and we can add another animatronic that can kind of interact with guests something for you to just if you want the option to just sit around in that space go for it if you want the music playing and you want the ambiance maybe something that you can't get outside until nighttime if you want like perma night in pandora just like a walkthrough section of the ride as well. And that's, it is like, it is like permanent in Pandora. Yeah. Like that, that is what Navi river journey is, but yeah, there's no walkthrough section. I think I have the, the marriage between our ideas okay. living with the land, but Pandora, <laughs> honestly, like, do living with the land, <laughs> yeah. but Pandora, yeah. it would be fantastic. <laughs> that's like what that, we want. Is have, have a video guide to yeah. where it's like, have you be in a green room too, because humans can't breathe on Pandora. So it's like, yeah. I was like, yep, we're taking you out of the biome of of Disney's Pandora and bringing you into the actual planet. And we're going to, uh, you're going to be in this greenhouse and uh, you're going to, like, this Navi is going to guide you and show you, like, all the really cool uh, plants and stuff like that and tell mm-hmm. you a little bit about the lore of the planet and, like, all this kind of stuff. And then put those plants out in the park and have the kids search for them yeah do a little wilderness explorer thing like that that is an excellent idea adding kind of like a a tour element to it and showing off the collaboration that's happening i think that'd be great and that's it's a very animal kingdom approach i think to Mm -hmm. bringing people into the world of pandora um I'm going to add that to our list because I like that, that marriage. <laughs> That's a fun one. Living That's a with fun the one. land, but it's Pandora. <laughs> Living with the Navi. Living with the Pandora. Living with the Pandora. <laughs> Living with the Pandoran dirt. Okay. Pandora. Pandora's rocks. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Living with an obtainium. Uh... <laughs> Your guide to a better life on Pandora. <laughs> Okay. well that's <laughs> oh. that's mouse geared and i, I think, think that does it that's the yeah. episode yeah uh, um, um before we sign off alex any last comments you want to bring up about the series or mouse geared no i i think just thank you guys for listening mm-hmm. to us ramble about all of this this great show that again if you haven't watched definitely watch it um uh do you have anything same thing. Thank you all so much. If you've if you haven't watched it, you should definitely watch it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ramble Boys, just rambling on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, leave a leave five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you can get podcasts. If you do, Alex will read them in the Mick the Donald the Goofy voice. I believe it's the Mickey voice. The Mickey voice. I believe it's the Mickey voice. Alex yeah. will read them in a Mickey voice. Uh, so snatch up that offer while you can and leave some five star reviews. Uh, we're on Instagram at Main Street Mickey's. <laughs> All right, have a magical day. Woohoo! <laughs> Making this one nice and quick. Oh, no. <laughs> nice and quick.